This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chess. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Rahul, it's been a long week, my friend. We're going to talk about some interesting things a little bit later in the, in the episode here, but let's open up today with the Champions League quarterfinal draw. We finished our last episode talking about who we wanted and who we didn't want. We'll, we'll break that down here in just a second, but I'll start by saying hello. How are you, my friend? I'm doing okay. You know, we the last time we spoke, we were feeling good, right? looking forward with some positivity, uh, hoping for some luck in the draw, and uh, we didn't go. It didn't go anywhere the way we wanted it. It actually went the worst case that we had identified, but uh, it wouldn't be Chelsea if it was easy. So we'll just have to take it as it comes and, as Graham Potter said, win the Champions League. For those of you who heard Rahul there, we don't have fancy sound effects just yet. So there was a little bit of a bleep. And if you've not heard about <laughs> Graham Potter, he has a little bit of an excited utterance where he says a cuss word. May I say that, Rahul? A cuss word where he says we're going to win the bleeping Champions League. So lots of confidence there. I don't know if he knew we were playing Real Madrid, but Aspiliqueta also came out and said, we shouldn't be afraid of anyone. They should be afraid of us. But let's jump right into it. Rahul, we drew Real Madrid. We did, and it's part three of the the saga. I guess the final, final one, because they won one, we won one. Both teams went on to win the, the competition. So let's see this edition of this uh, saga or this fixture what it brings up but we are home in the second leg which could be good could be bad we'll wait to find out uh but look i you said it best and i think you know we've got to play whoever is put in front of us whether it's madrid benfica inter Bayern, man city uh, because every team at this stage of the champions league is is top and is a difficult team a difficult fixture so we just have to beat the best to to win it. The trilogy will continue on. It's going to be an interesting one to see. I don't know. A lot of movies make it to the third segment, Rahul, and they're not always great. But I think with football matches, a lot of blood, a bad blood comes along, a lot of you know pent-up aggression and energy that's brought about. So I said this in the last one. I was only joking. I said, you know what? UEFA is corrupt, and for some reason or the other, they like to kind of build up on this drama, so we'll get Real Madrid. And look, we did, but... It is what it is. I think we're going to go forward and, and evaluate it a little bit more as we get closer. But the other ones in the draw were Manchester City versus Bayern. That's going to be a super tasty one. Again, I said UEFA likes this drama <laughs> and they kind of find a way to bring Pep against his old club. Benfica Inter, a good matchup on paper. And Milan versus Napoli. So Rahul, any one of those games stand out there? Maybe the Man City-Bayern one, I guess, is the easiest one to pick out of the hat? Yeah, absolutely. I think that one is the one that would have been maybe a dream final for a lot of people, maybe even UEFA. Uh, but one of these teams won't be making it to the final four. And uh, that's exciting because it gives an opportunity to some of the other teams like Benfica, Inter, Milan, Napoli uh, to push ahead and, and see how far they can go and maybe even make a European final. And that's a great point because it leads us into the semifinal discussion. If and only if... 
Chelsea beat Real Madrid, we would face up City or Bayern Munich. So, in a way, leading up to the other games, Benfica or Inter will play Milan or Napoli. One way or the other, Rahul, Italy has a very, very, very strong chance, 75% chance of making it to the final. A little bit harder for the Portuguese contingent in Benfica, but you feel like there's going to be a chance for some of these so-called, with the highest level of respect, smaller teams making it to the final, which I love about the Champions League. I think going back to the days of when we had the Portos and the Monacos making it towards the end of there and Villarreal at some point and Letico Madrid, we want to see a little bit more of this, but let's stick with us for a minute. You said it was the worst case scenario. We get Madrid in the quarters and then City or Bayern in the semis. Again, beat the best to be the best, but tough fixtures overall for us to move forward. Definitely tough fixtures. And in the past when we won it, I know we faced big teams and Barcelona in the semifinal, Bayern in the final. But leading up to that, I want to say we've had a Porto in a quarterfinal or a couple of seasons ago we had uh, Porto as well, but then we had Real Madrid. So this time around seems like we have Madrid. Once we get over that, we then have a bigger hurdle with the Man City or Bayern. And whoever comes out of that fixture, Jackie, was is going to be feeling good about themselves because they've right. knocked out a giant, knocked out a big team with some very good players. So uh, I'm sure they'll fancy themselves and we'll have to be up for it. But as a lot of fans have pointed out, you know, when we're struggling, when things aren't going our way in the league, we tend to do it. But I don't know if I feel or share the same sentiment, but we'll see. We'll, we'll come to find out. And listen, let's put a pin in it because I think Champions League is still a few weeks away. We just wanted to kind of give the updates on our feelings of the Champions League draw and we will cover it in detail as it gets a little bit closer. Let's transition into the Premier League. And I know you don't really want to transition to the Premier League, but we've got to talk about it anyway, Rahul. We play Everton and I'll just give you a second here to share your high-level thoughts before we break the game down. So, you know, I was excited. It's Saturday. We were had a later kickoff, the normal, 1.30 p.m., one of the few Premier League fixtures this weekend. So I'm like, let me go run some errands, uh, get ready for this game, and get get you know get things that I need to do out of the way. So wake up Saturday morning, go run my errands, come back home, and see Tottenham have tied 3-3. And I'm like, whoa, what a game. I sh- maybe should have watched that one. Yep. But then I sit down, I turn on Fubo TV, like we told you in the last episode, Fubo TV was showing this game. Uh, and if you want to check it out, it's FuboTV.com black, uh, backslash TPC. Go start your tra- trial, seven-day trial in the U.S., Canada. You, you kind of have to sign up right away. But it's a great opportunity to get access to these games. And so I'm sitting down, excited, you know, got my cold brew kickoff coffee ready. Uh, check out kickoff, co- kickoff coffee as well, guys. And uh, get 15% off with that coupon TPC Coffee uh, 15. But Jackie, here I am excited, you know, our partners w- supporting them and, and getting ready for this game. And 95 minutes later, I'm sat there fully deflated, exhausted, typical Chelsea this season, put me through the motions of going up 1-0, getting an equalizer Everton, going up 2-1, and then right at the end, we drop points. And and that's been the journey. Uh, so I'm just deflated. I'm I'm not even sure uh, what else to make of it. But I guess we got to analyze it. I think you summarized it really well there. Should we just end the episode right now and just <laughs> say we're all deflated. The air was coming out of us. The energy was zapped out of us. And I think as Chelsea fans, we tend to jump on the hype train very easily, Rahul. And I'll say it. not all Chelsea fans. Of course, some of us are cynical, but... 
a lot of us, three wins, excitement of knocking Dortmund out, some of the players coming back from injury, we're scoring goals. You start to go, look, no one can beat us. We're undefeatable. We're a well-oiled machine. All of the stress and Potter out went out the door, but reality comes back so quickly, doesn't it, in this particular game where you're just sitting there and you go, I don't know what I watched. I'm not sure I liked it. Should we get riled up? Should we get angry again? But it's one of those where it's so tough. But let's break it down. Let's spend some time and try and analyze what went wrong, what went right as well, because we got to get credit where credit is due. Why don't you take us through the starting 11? Kepa in goal, Wesley Fofana, Koulibaly, Badashile as the back three, Reese James, Enzo Fernandez, Kovacic, Chilwell as the four. And then up front, we had Kai Havertz, Shao Felix, and Pulisic coming back in for a starting role. So at least at the very least, you're seeing Graham Potter kind of stick with a 3-4-3. He's picking, for the most part, a solid eight, nine players at this point in time, I want to say. Maybe Christian Pulisic is one that comes back in, and Badia Shil comes back in in replacing Kukurea. So all of the negative connotation around he's changing formations, he can't pick a first-team 11, there's too much turmoil... At least that's out the door. Let's just put that out first and say in four games, we've played a back three. We've played a decent spine of players that are coming through. So that's some positives to kick off the game with. Yeah, absolutely. I think and it was expected, right? Because we had a week off. Uh, I think we in the past, we've criticized him for making continuous changes to the lineup. But now he has the players fit. Reese James comes back in after missing the last game last week. So... Uh, I think we were all kind of not too surprised by the the setup or the formation. Maybe Pulisic was a slight surprise because we saw Mudrik play the last game and and didn't get the the call up in this game. So maybe that was a surprise, but I think ultimately we had enough on on paper within the eleven to get the job done uh, from what we felt. And and I think you're right. When we came into this game, we felt three on three wins on the bounce. We've been scoring goals, I think, six mm. in three games versus six in, like, 15. Yep, yep. Uh, so coming in against an Everton side that was struggling to score and struggling to even pick up points away from home, I think our confidence along with the starting 11 was just based off of the fact that we are trying to build something here. And ultimately, I think we all know how it went, but I think at least at this point of the starting 11, the positivity was still flowing. It really was. And, you know, usually I sit here, Rahul, and I break down the first half in a little more detail, I'd like to say. But I think, for me at least, that first half was kind of a wash. And I mean that with the highest level of respect. I think Chelsea didn't come out with the typical 20, 25 minutes where we dominate. Yes, we had good opportunities. Yes, we controlled the ball a lot. But I don't remember too much exciting happening. I know we had a couple of chances. I know we had a couple of crosses. I know that our friend Xiao Felix finds a way to do a flick, a trick, maybe even hit the bar, but I can't remember too much important that happened in that first half. Do you? No, I think we, like you said, we dominated without creating much, which is typical of, of Chelsea. Uh, and Everton were pretty clear what they wanted to do. They wanted to sit deep. They wanted to hit on the counter. And they didn't even have a recognized striker to start off with. I think Demari Gray played uh, as that forward. So we always knew we were going to have more of the ball. It was the question was, what are we going to do with it? And in the first half, like you said, yes, we did a lot in terms of passing it around and, and retaining possession, but we couldn't break them down and open them up, which is 
what you expect from Sean Dyche and Everton and a team struggling uh, at the bottom of the table and fighting for their lives, which basically we got what we wanted, but we saw what we've been lacking, which is against these teams. And it's not just a Graham Potter issue. It's not just this season. It goes back to the last season. It goes back to the season before. Basically, three or four years now, we've struggled against low block and teams that don't want to do anything but defend. Uh, and so I'm not surprised that first half that we struggled. We basically didn't really do much. I think maybe a shot or two on target. Right. But Pickford for the longest time was just a, buy, a standby. Yeah, he was spectating the game really well. And I'll say this, Rahul, I don't think it's a discussion for today's episode, but I think somewhere down the line, we need to analyze most of the games that we haven't got the result we wanted and say, would an out-and-out number nine make a huge difference? And I think you put it up on the Premier Chelsea Instagram of Chelsea's top scorers in the last five seasons. I think barring Diego Costa, who was just an animal when it came to being in front of, of goal, no one's really crossed that 20 Premier League goal mark. And you look back before that, it was Didier Drogba. So Costa and Drogba kind of led the line and took those chances and buried. Again, I don't want to get too detailed here because I think we will have maybe in the offseason a segment around transfers and what a number nine could do for the squad. And dare I say, even a Lukaku could have done for the squad if he was in the right state of mind. I don't want to say bring too much about Lukaku on here. But coming into the second half, Rahul, one of the things, and I think we'll talk a lot about it towards the end of the segment, is substitutions. I don't want to say we struggled to break Everton down, but I think it's fair criticism that we we struggled to get a goal in that first half and no real substitutions coming from Graham Potter at halftime. We continue with the same team and we look through. Eventually, the goal does come, though, in the form of Zhao Felix with some intricate footwork, finds a way to bend the ball around the corner and his arguments, his fights, his stress with the post is finally over. I'll tell you this. When he bends that in, it hits the post. I don't even celebrate because to me, that's a Zhao Felix classic. It's going to hit the post and bounce out. But look, when I finally realize it goes in, there's a sense of relief. Not not for Chelsea Football Club, but for him. I think we've noticed he's needed that goal to go in so he can get a little more confidence and kind of kick off from there. My my relief was fully based off of for Chelsea Football Club. <laughs> <laughs> look, Zhao Felix, like you said, has been hitting the post. He's been doing the right things, but not getting the reward. Uh, but ultimately, he's here on a short-term basis. He's got to perform for us. And that goal was fully what we needed at that point. And, and it's something I think you and I have asked for in the past is, all right, we get to the edge of the box, and sometimes we try to pass it wide or we try to play it through or we even actually go backwards. In this case, he just picks it up and hits it. And I think that took not only me, but some of the Everton defenders and, and Pickford, who sees it maybe a little bit too late, by surprise, because you're not expecting Joe Felix to hit it and angle it in such a way that it hits the post and goes in. I don't think he meant for it to hit the post, but he put it in that general area where it's not easy for a goalie to make a save. And so I think that unexpectedness, that surprise factor was what we needed because Everton weren't giving us any space. They had packed the midfield, they had packed the defense. Uh, and so something like that was what was going to be needed to unlock them. But I think that goal came with 52 minutes, so about seven minutes into that second half. Right. A little too early for us because then Everton knew what they had to do and they had to come out. And I, I'm not saying they came out right away and opened it up, but throughout that game, right after we scored, Everton knew, well, we still have another 30, 35 minutes, 40 minutes. We'll get one chance and we'll take it, right? So 
I think that game, that goal comes a little bit too early. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be scoring in the 52nd minute because when you get a chance, you got to score. Uh, but I think from that point on, we didn't kill it and we left them alive. And I think that's what we'll get into now with, with the discussion here. But that's our problem right now is we have been scoring the first goal. But we're not killing it. Leicester came back in. Everton ultimately come back in. We got lucky where Dortmund didn't come back in. But against teams when we are going to be facing like a Madrid, when you leave the game open for like a Benzema or Vinicius, they're going to snatch at that chance. And I think we have to learn from these experiences if we're going to do anything in the next two months. Get your goal and try to kill it or at least be defensively so tight that you're not opening up and giving chances. Killing the game is absolutely key. I think I've said that on multiple, multiple occasions. We look at this game and you you kind of wonder... You're on the front foot. We're starting to get more chances. We're playing intricate football. Xiao Felix is scoring a goal, and we need him to score goals and not hit the bar. Kai Havertz is playing from deeper and getting more involved. Pulisic actually looked very good, Rahul. I think he even scored a goal. Maybe it was the first half, second half. It was obviously offside, but he showed that he can bang one into the net. So I'm just thinking, what do we need to do to go ahead and get that second one? Because like you said, and you described it beautifully, once we get that goal, Everton's mindset changes their formation changes their tactics change and you almost want to do something different where you go you guys can change whatever you need to i'm going to smash that second one in and now we're on the front foot but as as it stands i think it was less than 15 minutes later they pile on the pressure pile on the pressure and they get the goal in the form of a header from dakure and like you said the whole fan base the team the heads drop we get deflated and I worried about this. I actually said this in, against Leicester where I said when we conceded that goal, there was a there was a split moment that I thought, okay, they're going to go back to their old ways, forget that they are a top side and have good quality and can win these games. What's going to happen now? And you saw we might have even been lucky to kind of get the goal that comes after in the form of a penalty, but I'll, I'll pass it over to you for your thoughts on conceding that goal. It was un- it was unfortunate. I mean, it's a set piece, and I think from what I read, we're 14th in conceding goals or defending goals. I guess you should say because we're we're on the b- worst end of the stat. So defending goals from a set piece, we're like 14th in the league, and that's just not good enough, Jackie. I mean, we're yes, we've had a bad season. Things haven't gone our way, but for a team that has the likes of Kolobali, Bofana, Badishile, and these are like short defenders they're tall guys and and i think we've just been going with the zonal marking uh, from what we've seen in the last six seven months under potter um i prefer the man to man which allows you a little bit more uh you know putting someone taller with someone that can do it we even conceded against uh spurs if you remember from a corner which dyer is being marked by mason mountain i'm like this is clearly a mismatch and i see it so why isn't anyone else seeing it um so it wasn't a surprise that you know a set piece goes in. I think we try to clear it off the line, but it it goes in. It's it's called, uh, and that's what Everton needed. I think their goal comes exactly at the point that they needed that belief. They needed that kick and or shot in the arm to say, hold on a second, everything isn't as great at Chelsea as it has seemed or as they've been making it feel like in the last three games, and there are some cracks here that we can exploit, and they do it. And from that point on, I think Everton felt confident at least to walk away with the point. And even when you said we get the penalty, which was 
soft, but it was the right call because uh, Reese James does get caught. But, and I think Tarkovsky is, has the smile on his face because he knows he got done uh, by something very simple. But at the same time, it was it was the right call. Uh, even then, I think Jackie Everton were like, "Well, we'll come back. We 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 believe." And I'm like, "They only score one goal. They've barely even played away from home and scored a goal, so we should be okay with that two-one." But we, I don't know. It's maybe it's just this season. It's rotten luck, but we just can't seem to get over the line when we should. Uh, and when times, when other times, when I think we won't get over the line, we get over the line. So. I don't even know what to make of us this season. Look, I take it back to what I said, is that when you're winning, you tend to forget that we haven't solved all problems, Rahul, right? The winning kind of papers over the cracks, and I think the cracks have been there where you've identified zonal marking might be an issue, and, and maybe teams are picking onto that, and you've identified teams with the low block. We've really struggled to to break them down. They play five and a five, and it's like, how do you squeeze through these guys and get through? But ultimately, I think... This is what Chelsea fans maybe didn't see coming. Maybe some didn't, and and unfortunately, I didn't see it coming, was how quickly we can regress and start to lose sight of what we can do that's really, really good. But you kind of look at that. We get the penalty. Kai Havertz steps up, buries it. Good for him. He's getting his confidence back as well. You go from there, Rahul, and again, we're on the front foot. And I, and I have the same discussion to you again, right? Why not then kill the game? Why not go for the third and finish it? So I think this is a good segment to transition into substitutions. I think it's an important discussion to have because with many Chelsea fans, again, it comes back to Graham Potter, right? They want to know why Graham Potter makes substitutions the way he does versus other Chelsea fans. And I'll put my hand up here and say, while the substitutions can be strange, and I'm not saying that they are, but while they can be strange, the goal we can see at the end comes down to a long ball over the top, a very experienced Kulabali not finding his man or blocking his man, and Kepa maybe not being good, good enough. Maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe I am. But let's talk about the substitution thing, in, and then we'll kind of break it down from there. Look, you asked me four games ago at this point against Leeds, where I think you were... A little more critical of the subs than you are in in this time around. Uh, And I'll read those subs to you. So in in the Leeds game, it was Zakaria for Sterling, Gallagher for Felix. And I think you said, well, why are we bringing on two midfielders, one defensive midfielder? And I tried to defend Potter at that point because I said, you know what, Sterling, Felix, we have a bigger game coming against Dortmund. Uh, We want to try and hold on to what we want. And, And we make it through, right? So at the end of the day, Fine, those those subs come off. But then we go on to the next game, and it's Dortmund, and we're 2-0 up, and he makes Gallagher for Felix. So again, a midfielder for an attacker. RLC for Sterling, another midfielder for an attacker. Then it's Pulisic for Kovacic, so you're saying, okay, I'm going to take a midfielder, refresh it a little bit, maybe throw throw um, Loftus-Cheek in there. And then Zakaria for Enzo at 2-0. All right, that's fine. You know, we're, we're going defensive. Against Leicester, we're 2-1 up. Gallagher for Felix. It certainly feels like I'm um, I'm going back to the sorry days when it was like Ross for Kovacic, Kovacic for Ross. Uh, but coming back to the Leicester game, then Pulisic for Chilwell because he's changing the system. Chaloba for RLC, Carney for Mudrik, and Badishile for Fofana. Come to this Everton game, we're one nil up. Gallagher for Pulisic, and okay, Pulisic maybe 
not fully fit yet. Only had about 60, 65 minutes in him. But why not bring a Nani on? Why not bring a Madueke on? I beg your pardon, Mudrik on. That I think that's where the frustration and your question comes up is, why are we trying to hold on versus going for it and saying, you know what, throw Mudrik on there. He had a, an assist last week. Let's see what he can do. The second sub, Loftus-Cheek for Kovacic at 2-1. Okay, maybe Kovacic isn't um, fit enough or, you know, we've we've been playing him for regular games now. Let's give him a break. But I think he ultimately goes for Carney and Felix, Chalaba for Fofana. Fofana obviously was, had picked up a knock. I think he was just trying to bring in some height to protect those set pieces. But what ended up happening is Everton started throwing everything at the game and they bring on their their young kid, Sims, who's a young striker, who has some pace. Maybe we didn't scout him or maybe we didn't analyze him before the game. But when Koulibaly goes in for that challenge or tackle when Sims picks up the ball and Sims just burns him, uh, you, I don't even know. I mean, yes, the subs are a problem in this game, but... When you're star defender and then your goalie can't do the basic things right, you're going to open yourselves up to conceding. And and it wasn't that hard of a shot. I think you were trying to be nicer to Kepa and say maybe he should save it. He should 100% save it. He's a goalie <laughs> at one of the best clubs in the world. He's a top-level goalie. We paid 70-odd million for him. You can be Mr. Weak Wrist on, on such an occasion. We need you to bail us out at certain points. Yeah. Even that Leicester goal last weekend, Jackie, I said it. He should have saved it. We're conceding such silly goals when any normal goalie saves some of those and, and bails us out and we end up winning 2-1 or we come up come away with a clean sheet. So I think Kepa is an issue long-term. I think Kulubali has been doing this all season where he just goes into tackles and doesn't worry about what may happen. And if you're going to go in and you miss the, the ball or the defender or the attacker, I beg your pardon, maybe just try to foul them before he gets into the box and <laughs> pick up a yellow or whatever it is, right? But I don't know, man. It's it's frustrating. These subs are are frustrating, and I tried to defend it. I apologize. I tried to defend it against Leeds <laughs> because maybe um, I didn't see what was going to happen, which is it's turned into a theme where we go, Oh, we're we're one up. We're two one up. Let's just let's just hold on and defend and, and try to protect what we got when we have players on the bench that could maybe come on and make it three or make it four and we clear you know, clear the game and, and are in a comfortable position. So I put my hand up. I apologize for, for the defense against the, the lead subs, but I don't know what much more to say. Hey, and listen, I think one of the important things to note, Rahul, is Chelsea are in a period, or at least we're coming off a period, of immense pressure. We couldn't win a game to save our life. In fact, you could put us 3-0 up and somehow the other Chelsea would find a way to lose in that period. There was no doubt that we were going through some tough times. So I think that when you see those changes against the likes of Leeds and Dortmund, you say, do you know what? Credit to Graham Potter. He just needs to build the confidence. And I think against Leicester, we had the opportunity to say, we can do this without making changes to be a little more defensive. But look, we're building off of this. I think with Everton, the fear was always going to be, you're with a team that is literally playing defensive till you score. If you do not put the sword to them, they're going to come out and find a way to to finagle their way and, and pinch a goal here, pinch a goal there. 
which they absolutely did. And so for that, yes, I think Graham Potter needs to, to raise his hand and say, I've got the likes of Mudrik, Madueke, let me burn Everton on the pace. And I didn't even say this, the likes of Everton's defense, I think Tarkowski, he was lucky to be on the pitch for half the game with the horrible tackles he was making. Nonetheless, I come back to the team, and I, and I do agree with you with Kepa and Koulibaly. I think Koulibaly was fantastic for majority of that game, and I think that's where it's important for me to say, I said, this is the player that we paid the $40 million for, and he's looking good. He's a senior guy. There's going to be a chance to do a handoff with Fofana and Badiashil in a few years, of course, with Thiago Silva. But Rahul, it's the split-second mistakes that we as Chelsea fans tend to remember. We say... You had a great game for 89 minutes, but that one minute and we forget everything good you've done. And now, oh my God, get him out of the team. <laughs> Let's bring Thiago Silva back. Let's get some <laughs> other guys in here. But but that's what it is. You're playing for a top level club. We're playing against a struggling side. And yes, this is the same side that lost to Southampton a few weeks ago, but we're building upon something here. And I think, again, it comes down to, I don't have a problem, Rahul. We didn't lose, we drew, but it comes down to performances. And the performance at the end of the day was half here, half there. We weren't fully in it. We weren't fully dedicated to the tackle. We were not paying attention, caught sleeping on a few occasions. And that's the piece that Graham Potter now needs to either tactically fix or weed out what some of these guys are doing. A hundred percent agree with you. And look, we we don't have a God-given right to win every game, right? And And we haven't done that this season. We came in to March saying... Potter has two games to save his job. Potter has leads to save his job. Uh, and we came out on the other side with three wins. And, and suddenly we're, we've been talking about what winning does for you. But this felt like a loss because we were in the lead twice against a team that doesn't score, against a team that doesn't pick up points away from home. And suddenly they show up. And, and in moments where they have two corners and they score from one. They have three shots on goal and they score from two of those. And we have eight corners and we don't score anything. Uh, I'm looking at our total number of shots on target. We had seven and we have two. It goes back to the same problems that we've been talking about. We don't score enough. And when we start conceding stupid goals and we start making mistakes, it amplifies that and it highlights the need for we need to score more. And yeah, someone may turn around and be like, well, what are you complaining about? You haven't scored two or three goals back to back or something like what we've been doing in months, right? I'm like, I get it. But that goes to my point that we we have this issue in the squad where we can't score enough. It takes a penalty or Reese James to win a penalty for us to finally get a second goal. Because at 1-1, did you see us getting a second goal from anywhere outside of normal play? I didn't. So that's what it is, right? It, it comes back to that. And we can talk about Potter. We can talk about Bowley. We can talk about Kai. We can talk about Mudrik, Nani, who came on, who didn't come on. But ultimately, we're missing. And you said it. We've had no one since Diego Costa. And Diego Costa left in 2017. Right. And since then, we've had no one come in and, and score and, and put in the goals. And not that we haven't tried. I mean, we've brought in plenty players and spent a lot of money but i don't know we i know we hired a psychological coach maybe we just need to hire like a a, a juju man like we used to say in ghana <laughs> where we i know we maybe have to do some black magic or or get the curse off i don't even know man it's 
it's so sad and frustrating because this was a game where we could have won, gone into an international break feeling good. Not that we're feeling bad. We're undefeated in March, which in itself is quite an achievement. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It just felt like we were we were slapped in the face right at the end and we we couldn't defend or, or protect ourselves. Listen, my friend, I hear your frustration. I hear you're deflated and I'm sure... Chelsea fans alike are feeling the same because you want to kind of go on these runs. And while I don't think we can make top four, it's nice to have the belief and the hope with wins and wins and wins that we can climb the table or at least make a serious push for top four. But look, at the end of the day, we were doing so poorly. I said I would be happy with 10th and we'd kind of build from next season. But we as a team have now set the expectation that we can play good football. We can score multiple goals. We can stop ourselves from conceding. So Hopefully, this is just a blip on the journey with Graham Potter as we go through and we'll kind of figure it out. But I completely hear you. I echo your frustrations. Did you hear what Todd Bowley said after the game? I didn't have a chance to hear it, but I've, there's a lot of social media around Bowley shared his feelings and thoughts about the game. I did. I've seen the video. Um, and I don't know. I don't, I don't particularly like it because you know that's gonna get amplified the media is gonna take it the the pundits are gonna take it and spin it as to like well the owner's not happy and and is his job safe and what are they thinking and maybe they're giving him till the end of the season but working in the background for someone else and it just opens up to a lot of unnecessary analysis that maybe he didn't even mean much off it he just wanted to banter with the fans and say it was a game right uh but I don't know. I feel like we've come from an era under Roman where we never heard from him. We would go like, we would just be like, this man just fired. That's it, right? And we'd be like, well, <laughs> it'd be nice if we heard from the the owner what he feels about it or what the goal is. And here we are, an owner who's maybe a little too involved. And I'd love yeah. to actually get Ben Jacobs back on and, and find out from him how much of influence or what the role Bowley has now. Because I know he's not a sporting director. He's just involved as an owner as a as a primary face for the ownership group but unnecessary i don't think that was needed i don't think him showing up at the after the dortmund game with the beer in his hand as much as it shows that he's a cool guy and he's you know fully backing potter just just stay out of the limelight just stay away let the players perform you do what you need to do behind the scenes and even if you're at a game and someone's asking you how do you feel you don't have to respond. You don't have to say something just for the fact of saying something. Maybe just walk away and, and do what others do because I don't know. I Maybe I'm too, too old school and, and I don't want to see our owner say too much. I'd rather him do the talking behind the, the, the scenes and get, get the appointments and the, the strategy right. But I'm not a fan of it. Listen, for our listeners, I'm going to work on our sound effects. But Rahul went for bleep bleep game. <laughs> is what we heard through Todd Bowley. But ultimately, Rahul, I think some fans may disagree with you. Some fans may say, look, we want an owner that's involved, an owner that's passionate. And, and to your credit, you have said that, that him being around shows that he cares about Chelsea Football Club, which when Roman Abramovich was looking to sell Chelsea Football Club, he wanted to sell it to someone that realistically did care about Chelsea Football Club. But on the flip side of that, I want to echo your thoughts because my feelings are very similar to yours in an owner can show they care about a football club in many ways. Him spending $600 million is more than enough 
more than enough to every Chelsea fan to show he's invested and he cares. That to me says he's here to put his money in. The next thing you hear is he's trying to invest and rebuild Stamford Bridge. Again, more than enough, without words, this is just what's happening as far as strategy goes. You start to build a backroom staff built of the leading talents in recruitment and staffing. Again, you're showing what you're trying to do for Chelsea Football Club. Of course, we spent a lot on buying senior players and first-team players, Rahul, but there are countless youngsters that we have purchased in the last six months that tell you he's not only investing now, he's investing for the future. Those are things that are all so important, and those are things that make me like Todd Bowley as an owner. But when you come out and give your opinion, especially an opinion like this, it does bring an air of he's frustrated, which is counterproductive to what we've been hearing, or we back you know, Potter and we're going to support him, we're going to do this. There's nothing to say. There really is nothing to say. Yes, it's not a great game, but where were you? Why were these words not coming out over the last six months when we were struggling as a team, right? <laughs> it comes after a run of good results. Look, he's human at the end of the day, and he's entitled to his opinion, and sometimes you get caught off guard and you feel the pressure and you feel the irritation, just like we are here. But I think I said this several, several episodes ago. He's way too involved in the day-to-day, and while I think he had to be in the early stages, I feel as though now he's got his directors in place, his recruitment staff in place. I believe Potter brought his own strategist or recruitment person that can liaison with the rest of the team. It's enough now. Maybe it's time you just come up to the booth, celebrate with us, feel the pain with us, but work behind the scenes. So I completely agree with you there. Hopefully this is something where, like I said, he's human and we don't get it too entangled in the day-to-day because I think it only adds more pressure that we don't need. But ultimately, look, he's the owner. He's going to do what he wants. And we as fans, as long as he's here to support Chelsea and grow Chelsea, we have to give him a little space to share his thoughts as well. So let's jump into the FA Cup, but the women's FA Cup. Rahul, what can you share with us over there? Well, as as is the case, the women come out and save the weekend once again. They were in the FA Cup quarterfinal against Reading, and they win 3-1 goals from Jess Carter. Uh, Marin Mielda penalty and Guru Raitan in the 51st minute. We did concede in the 70th minute, but we went on and won the game 3-1. And that puts us in the semifinals of the FA Cup once again uh, and puts us in a decent position to go ahead and, and make it to the final and maybe even pick up this trophy once again. Look, wouldn't that be lovely just to continue doing? I think that's what we all want as Chelsea fans here. So I think we said this a few weeks ago, Emma Hayes will find a way to put things right and Rahul. It looks like she's doing just that. She absolutely is. And we it doesn't get any easier from here. We have Leon coming up mm. uh, on Wednesday afternoon here in the U.S. Uh, in the Champions League. And then we have Man City next weekend in the league. So big games coming up, big uh, opportunities to make it into the next round or, or go ahead in the league and, and you know pick up some more points against our rivals. And so you want to start off on the right note, and and what better way to do it than win in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup? Absolutely. Rahul, let's transition into some mounting pressure. I'm sorry, I always come up with these horrible puns to share on the podcast, but anybody who knows what I'm referring to, the Mason Mount contract saga drags on. Rahul, what can you share with us on the latest around the contract saga here? Well, I mean, it seems like, you know, Chelsea offered him an eight-year deal. 
And so he is currently 24. Eight years will put him at 32 years old. Uh, and I think him and his camp feel like that is a little too long. And so apart from the money, I think they've requested to negotiate on the terms and, and the length of the contract. Uh, and I think that's where the breakdown has happened. Of course, we're we're all hearing about this through the media and, and not directly from the Mount camp or, or the club. Uh, but if you think about it from Mason's side, he's 24. He's He loves the club. He's been at this club as a kid. But in the last few years, he's been kind of played out of position. He's still performed. He's been our player of the year for the last two years. This season hasn't been what it expects we expected it to be. So I think that may be playing on his mind a little bit in the fact that there's a lot of changes. There's a lot of competition in the attacking positions, which is where he would play. Uh, and so maybe he's looking at it and saying, well, why am I going to tie myself down for eight years uh, when I maybe could go move on in a couple of years if I sign a shorter term contract? Um, but ultimately, I think the club, like we've seen with others uh, who that have come in, are leaning towards this longer term strategy. Uh, but even Reese James, from what I've read and heard, is he negotiated a shorter term contract instead of seven, eight years. Uh, so maybe Mason has the opportunity, but from what it seems like, he has hired a new agent. I think his dad was representing him. He's, they brought in someone more of a specialist. Not to say his dad isn't going to be involved, but I think a specialist that may eventually work with Chelsea, which is the first option. And if not, then I think he may look for another club uh, in the Premier League, if not around the world. That's going to be a tough one to swallow for me personally. I'm actually wearing my Mason Mount jersey right now. And I think... He's one of those, Rahul, that divides some Chelsea fans, not all Chelsea fans, where he's maybe Frank Lampard's son or Thomas Tuchel's son, and he's not here on merit. But I think it's been tough to see because I know what Mason Mount has brought and done for Chelsea Football Club. And I say, as football fans, it's very easy to forget what a footballer does when they're on a downturn of form. So while I do absolutely believe that he should not be playing or starting every single game in recent times due to form, I think he is one that we will regret if we do let him move on. However, Rahul, if he does move on, I think hopefully that the Chelsea hierarchy can find a way to get the most value and use that to reinvest in the squad. But your thoughts on Mason Mount and if you would prefer him to stay or you'd be happy for him to move on and then maybe talk about some England call-ups that have come around and maybe some of the drama with the Mason Mount call-up as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I would love for Mason to stay. I think uh, he's one of the players that we've, love we we've seen him grow into the man that we thought he may be as a young kid that we've seen with the long hair taking the free kicks uh, in a Chelsea shirt uh, and he's one that we say is proper Chelsea or, or Chelsea through and through in the sense that he knows what it is to be a Chelsea player a Chelsea fan and like I said in the last two seasons he's been our player of the year this season hasn't gone to plan but when you look at the players within the squad or the players that have come through the academy, him and Reese James, you have to say, are are two of the best, if not the best, that have come through. And so for us to entertain or hear about the facts that he's leaving are sad. But then on the flip side, I look at him like he's got to do what's best for him. And I, and I hope that we don't end up seeing the media or the club portraying him as as the villain or someone that's trying to break away or be the bad person because... I don't think that's what he wants. He wants to stay. He obviously wants to be in the Chelsea shirt, but he's got to look out for himself, and, and I wouldn't blame him or anyone else. I mean, 
Frank Lampard played in a Man City shirt, right? So since then, my feelings about our star players or our, our darling boys uh, going to other clubs has changed. But I look at Mason Mount, I'd love for him to stay. I'd love for him to be a part of this club. But we've all got to look out for ourselves. And if it's not the right deal, then I wish him the best. Uh, and Chelsea will still be there. Chelsea will still hopefully win trophies. Uh, and I would wish him well. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll cross paths again in the future. Yeah, that's really all we can hope for. And we hope we don't come for the Tamori saga, Rahul, where we're sitting here and Chelsea fans are saying we went out to sign different centre-backs and we spent a lot of money. What would have happened if we had someone like Tamori? But look, that's all we can do at this point in time. Reese James called up for England. Ben Chilwell called up for England. Mason Mount called up for England. Rahul, was that just an accident? I don't even know, man, because potter says mount's injured he's been right was it a pubic bone injury mm. um and here's graham southgate calling him up but on the same side he goes i'm not calling up raheem sterling because he's injured <laughs> so like something's fuzzy somewhere because and we spoke about it i think the last episode of maybe yeah. two episodes ago where we said is mason mount really injured because we're hearing he's fully fit so I'll be very surprised if Mason Mount shows up in an England shirt in the next week, 10 days uh, after missing the last three, four games for us, which would be a strong indication to, I think, what we're talking about regarding the the contract and the saga that's developing there. But the other two players, Chilwell's just started coming back into the ga- the side, right? And I'm like, all of a sudden, he's going to go play for England. Reese James, who's been in and out, in and out, in and out, is now going to go play for England. I'm like, can we just pull them out? Can, I don't know, Bowley work his <laughs> magic and, and pull them out? Because I would hate Jackie, even Mason Mount, I would hate right. for them to go away after missing the last few games for Chelsea and pick up another injury on England duty while playing in Euro qualifiers, which haven't we had enough international football this season? We could have just had maybe a week off, give the players a week off. And say, you know what, come back in a week and we'll continue with club football and end the season by the end of May versus the Champions League final in June. Um, so I don't know. These international breaks are a little frustrating to me because, yes, we got a month off for the World Cup, which was great. But let's just get through the club season and maybe even just give the players a week off in the summer versus now we'll at the end of summer, do we have another international break before they go on on uh, you know vacation? So just frustrating and, and annoying uh, because, yes, you want to represent your country, but I, w- I would be devastated if Reese James misses that Real Madrid game or Ben Cholo misses the Real Madrid game because they got injured playing for England. Listen, there have been two of their star players, two of our star players over the last few weeks, and we know what they bring to the table. So it's no surprise that they called up for England, but I do echo your sentiments that if they get injured, Chelsea are the ones that kind of feel the most pain and the pinch out of it. But hopefully there's more to come, and especially on the Mason Mount saga, more to come as to if he really is injured, if he's not really injured. So stay tuned to find out what happens there. So Rahul, I want to talk about a midfield general that you and I grew up watching, a fantastic footballer in his own area. Maybe not quite the Makalele role, but he did have his own spider-like physique, and he kind of rampaged through the Arsenal midfield, and that was Patrick Vieira. News coming out this week that he was unfortunately fired due to poor results with Crystal Palace. Seems a little bit harsh in my opinion because I know they were going through a hard time and 
The next round of fixtures coming out for Palace seem to be winnable on paper. However, before I pass it over to you, the one thing I will say in relating back to the football director or manager of Crystal Palace, they did come out and say football is a results-based game. Patrick's a great guy, but we couldn't see things turning around. So maybe a little better handling of the media in that perspective, but your thoughts on Patrick Vieira and was he rightly or wrongly terminated? I think it was wrong. I think it was a little too soon. But then again, like you said, the owner came out and spoke truthfully and said it had been going on for a while. You look at it, they've won six games all season in the league. So that's for Crystal Palace. And maybe he's a victim of his own success because last season they were flying. Uh, They made it to the semifinal of the FA Cup and they came out of Roy Hodgson era and Vieira came in and Mm kind of transitioned them over and got them, I think, maybe top 10 or if not 11th or 12th last season. Uh, but this season, it hasn't gone to plan. And you kind of expect that, right? Because second season under a new manager, things are, are maybe sticking in the sense that they players know what to expect. But I don't know. Maybe give him another three, four games and see how it goes. Because everyone below you, Wolves, Leeds, Everton, Nottingham Forest, Leicester, West Ham, Bournemouth, Southampton, it's not like they're just flying and picking up results and suddenly sucking you back in. I get it that you're you're too close to the, the drop zone as you'd like, but Vieira was getting the players to perform, and I know attacking-wise they weren't getting much out of it, but like yeah. you said, the next few fixtures were, were favorable to get uh, maybe a couple of points and pull away, but I don't know. It's a... Uh, it's just a crazy, crazy season. Southampton fired their manager. Bournemouth fired their manager. Everton fired their manager. Leeds, Wolves, Crystal Palace now. Villa, Chelsea. That's what, eight right there? And I I'm, I'm, haven't even made it to the top of the table yet, which Tottenham might do it too. Um, <laughs> so it's just crazy, man. The, 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 the need to survive in this league and, yeah. and get the money or whatever it is. Just crazy that someone like a Vieira loses his job out of just thin air because we weren't listen, really expected. Listen, as us as you know, non Crystal Palace fans, if we can see something that Vieira was doing and potentially doing a good job, you would hope that he would end up back in the Premier League because he seems like a good man manager, a good manager that would bring a team up. You look at likes of West Ham, and maybe they may part ways with David Moyes and. Vieira might be a natural replacement. I'm not sure. There are not too many managers out there right now either that could come in and and do a job like that. So we wait and watch it, whether it's unfair or, or fair. Ultimately, like the director said, it's a results-based business. They do what they have to do to kind of move forward from there. But let's wrap up our segment this week, Rahul, with a few of the results in and around the Premier League and the FA Cup because it was a shorter Premier League week with some of the bigger teams playing FA Cup. So I'll go to Tottenham first. You mentioned them at the very, very beginning of the segment. 3-3 against Southampton. I think they were winning 3-1 at some point as well, right? They they were. And I actually you know, saw the first goal that they scored. And I'm like, oh, well, here we go. Tottenham are going to get the job done. And I come back home and it's 3-3. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where I think we make fun of Tottenham every week. And we say... They're going to bottle it. They're going to fail again. They're going to win again. But realistically, you look at Rahul and you go, on paper, this Tottenham side should be beating a lot more teams this season that they've actually lost to. And Antonio Conte came out this weekend with some infamous, hot, 
spicy words towards his team and himself, to be fair. Do you have some snippets you can kind of summarize in your own words about what he said about Tottenham? Without You might have to drop another beep here, but he basically said they were S-H-I-T. <laughs> uh, that, that was quite a, a post-match conference because we've seen, we've seen Conte upset. We've seen Conte grumpy. We've seen Conte yep. not happy with the board and the players and, and what's going on. But this was next level. And I get it, right? You're 3-1 up. You end up drawing 3-3 against a team that's sitting bottom of the table. But even then... It was just a an attack on the club, the owner, the players himself, and ah oh man, that it it was refreshing in a sense because we don't really hear managers that way. They're very political, and they've been you know given the training, and they can't go beyond certain guidelines. But he just came and said, spoke his heart, and maybe yeah. he's trying to get fired and just get the last two months of the season off. But man, he's he's one that you don't want clashing with the owner like maybe you know like he's had with roman or or he he doesn't care he if he doesn't like what is going on he's going to speak his mind if he gets fired he gets fired or he's just going to walk um but man that was that was something and and antonio conte is famous for hitting the self-destruct button and you kind of see that happening at this point in time where i think if you take out the aggression and read between the lines i think the criticism is fair saying that Tottenham have been a club that have not won a lot in the last 20 years. And is that really down to just the manager? Is that really down just to a couple of the players? I mean, I think he's calling out a systematic issue that has existed in the club for a long time. He's not telling you how to fix it or what needs to be done, but maybe he's being the brave one of all the managers to say, if you really want a club the size of Tottenham, and again, I, I repeat, we we make fun of them, but they are a big club and they have been around and in and around trophies, not necessarily winning them. But to take that next next big step, something has to change. And maybe he's saying, look internally, guys, before you start pointing the finger around at Antonio Conte having a self-destruct button going live. But let's move on away from them, Rahul. Let's talk about some of the other teams in and around the Premier League. I'll jump straight into Arsenal. You gotta believe that they're gonna win the the league at this point, right? Is it still possible they're gonna bottle it? I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not believing yet. I'm I'm hoping out for Pep and City to to come back, but Arsenal are looking good, and I think the fact that they only have the Premier League to focus on now just makes it a little bit more uh, difficult for Man City with FA Cup, Champions League. Uh, still, still to play for. I think it comes back to the question I asked you a few few episodes ago. If it gets to a point, I think Man City are going to say we're going to mm-hmm. go for the Champions League versus the league, and that's going to help Arsenal. That's fair. One team that we don't usually touch on, Rahul, but we we'll, we're playing them soon. Aston Villa flying high three 0 against Bournemouth. Yeah, I mean it was we've seen Bournemouth and what they can do, but Villa handled them very well, uh, and I think they will handle us very well too. But hey, when we are up against losing the tenth spot, we somehow come out fighting. So I, I wouldn't be too surprised. But we'll save that for the future. We'll save that for when we preview that game. Let's jump into the FA Cup, my friend. Manchester City, Rahul. What can I say about them? Anything more I can say about them at this point? They seem to be hitting that mid-season stride where they're just going to demolish anything in their pathway. They man, Holland scores three goals, or nine goals, or eight goals in the space Jeez. of five days. 
and we take four or five games <laughs> to, to get there. It's just ridiculous. It's just um, I, honestly, I'd like to see what would have happened if he ended up at Chelsea because yeah. we tend to ruin strikers, Rain, but Rain. he's not one that I think would have settled for anything less but scoring all the time. Uh, so I wish we had just gone all out two years ago for him. Yeah. But now we sit back and have to watch him in a in a sky blue shirt. Uh, so hopefully we avoid him in the Champions League semi final if we get there. Listen, at least for the FA Cup, they're very entertaining. They beat Burnley six 0 Sheffield beat Blackburn three two, so they move on into the semi finals. Rahul, Man United, Eric Ten Hag. We made fun of them for that seven 0 but back to winning ways. Two red cards for Fulham, and they beat them three one. Three red cards because the manager oh, got sent off. Too. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that was the. I didn't watch it, but I was tracking it, and it was like yep. one. I'm like, oh, Fulham, come on, let's do it. And then it's suddenly two one. I'm like, <laughs> oh, of course. But I, I ended up seeing what happened, right? And I think the William is a handball, but then Mitrovic pushing or or at least hitting the referee a little bit, never a good move. And then I think Marco Silva loses it too. So yeah. Man, if Mitrovic gets suspended, I think maybe we have a chance at ninth spot. <laughs> How far we have fallen that we're looking at ninth spot. Moving on to Brighton, Rahul 5 0 against Grimsby Town. Brighton, the same team that Graham Potter came from and could not score these many goals. Same players, in, in fact, and here we are. So they're going into the semi finals. It's actually going to be Manchester City versus Sheffield United and Brighton versus Man United. So I think I'm pretty confident that City will make the final, but Brighton versus Man United could be a very tasty semi-final to watch, Rahul. Absolutely. And if there's one way Bowley wants to win a trophy in England, maybe he should just buy Brighton too. Uh, <laughs> and that way he can see them in the FA Cup final, maybe, uh, before Chelsea make it anywhere close to a final. Listen, I don't want to get more deflated. We've had a long weekend where you and I have felt the pressures. We've been deflated of energy and happiness. But look, the women have done well to keep us excited. There's been a lot of fun football around Chelsea Football Club. So that's all we can take solitude from there. But my friend, why don't you take us home? And that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chelsea on all major podcast providers, YouTube and Instagram. Now on Twitter, it's at Premier Chelsea. And we will be back with an episode previewing, reviewing the women talking about uh, the international fixtures, praying that our guys don't get injured, uh, and maybe even having Ben Jacobs come back on. But until then, stay safe and up the Chels. Hey guys, the Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home, so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.